0: Welcome, it is the Ski Bomb Podcast, episode number 327, and it is your pals Mario and Brian. Mario, what's up?
1: It's one of those just deep sigh of lot getting through a lot of stuff, because I'm going to be skiing soon.
0: I'm going to be skiing. Well, you're not just going to be skiing, you're going to be skiing in a fancy place. You're going to be skiing in hey. Italy. Hey, I don't ski in the U.S.
1: anymore. I just ski... <laughs> Outside of the U.S.
0: Your international, international ski bum.
1: International bum it. It's going to be in Italia. In Sorry. Pragilato by Sistrier.
0: Pragilato, Italy. Now, that's not where the Olympics are going to be. That's going to be in Cortina, right? The next one? Cortina. six. Okay.
1: Yeah. So that's where I broke my shoulder. Cortina. I left a piece of my shoulder on the mountain. Look at that. You will always be there. Always be there. It's a little piece of me. Always saying...
0: Hopefully, hopefully nothing goes down because the last two times you were in Italy, something's happened. Like again, once you had the big crash. Yeah, and you were there right before COVID, like twenty twenty. That's right. I think we started COVID. I think
1: let's see what we start this time.
0: Let's see what you start this time. Yeah, I gotta tell my wife we gotta start COVID or something again. Damn, you guys always you always bring the ruckus when you're in Italy. So, bringing the
1: goddamn ruckus because you can't stop us with Italian wine flowing and on the mountain it's just crazy where the wine flows like beer right that's
0: right speaking of flowing we have a a very interesting article that we found this week called powder and profits that i thought was really cool and i think you guys are going to find it pretty interesting it's the economics of ski resorts so you know we'd like to give our fans, our listeners, a different perspective. We're not just talking about skis and gear. We're talking about lifestyle, business, related to skiing. Because you know what? Part of our mission at the Ski Bum Podcast is to help us all become ski bums. And sadly, it's not as easy as it once was to be a ski bum. It's almost like you almost have to get independently wealthy first, and then you can go and live your ski bum dreams. So
1: the changing maybe, times we live in.
0: Yeah, maybe this article will give you some tips, ideas, points, but probably not. It's just a very interesting article, kind of about the slope-side arms race that's gone on since the 80s between that eventually led to fail versus Altera versus... Could get you some rage. Got me a little rage. We'll see. Uh, we'll talk about it later. Got me a little enraged, but also had a lot of valuable information that I think you're going to appreciate. So we'll have that in the main topic. But thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out dot SkiBumPodcast.com or on the socials, X, Instagram, Facebook, Untap, YouTube, at ski bum Podcast. Do you want to support the show? Do you want to be part of this beautiful, wonderful experience we have every week? You can become part. Join us as a patron, patreon.com slash SkiBumPodcast. Send us an email, podcast at gmail.com. If you want stickers, we'll hook you up. Send us an email. We've been talking about 10,000 $10. for a couple of months now. Maybe you're skiing. Maybe you're not skiing. Maybe you're working out so you can get better at skiing. That's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to make happen here. Folks at 10,000 have some pretty excellent gear, shirts, pants, sweatshirts, all that good stuff, athlete led design. The only way to become your best is to work with the best. Their gear is the best. Their whole motto is better than yesterday. At the heart of 10,000 is the idea of pursuit in business, fitness, life, and skiing. They believe in moving forward with a quiet dedication to constant improvement and to becoming just a bit better than we were yesterday. Go to 10,000. Use the code B-Schneider15. B-S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R-1-5. 15% off. Make it happen. Mario, let's kick this off the way we always do. It's time for prey Today. So operate Today. So uh,
1: this is, you know, I did some shopping. I did some research. I, I, got a, I got a good one today. So there's this beer from Tampa Bay Brewing Company that I love drinking. Uh, it's called Reef Donkey. It's an IPA. Reef um, Donkey? Reef Donkey. But... This is not Reef Donkey. This is also by Tampa Bay Brewing Company. It is called Cloudy Donkey. So they got a whole
0: donkey show going on there. for all their yeah, donkey
1: show. This is donkey show. So this is a New England style hazy pale ale. Um, okay. Speaking my language. Now, the regular Reef Donkey is a little, little on the dank side for IPAs. Um, this is a little bit more...
0: Fruity hoppy. So is that one the other one a little more west coasty then?
1: Yeah, the other one's a little more west coasty. This one has like a little little sip of sunshine in it, I think. It's got a oh. nice little little Skittle taste to it. I like to I I like to call it my Skittles favorite brand. Hmm. Very not so super hoppy, but a good hop flavor, like a full body like hop. Let's see, unrated on untapped, Well, unrated on um, on Beer Advocate. Untapped has it. 5.5 ABV, double dry hopped, hazy. Reef Donkey. Hazy is a hazy Reef Donkey, so it's it's like a cloudy Reef Donkey. A uh, little bit more aromatic and softer. I got to say, I like it. It's a good contrast to the regular reef donkey. I could drink between the reef donkey and the Cloudy donkey. I can drink them back and forth all day.
0: Okay, very so delicious. Is this your first time having that one?
1: Yes, I saw it in the store. I was like, I I gotta get this. I love reef donkey. I get it. They have it on tap a lot of places, but the Cloudy donkey they don't. So it's uh, very. It was odd to find, but the can's kind of cool. They got like a. You got some weird fish on it. Very cool product by Tampa Bay Brewing Company, which I did the bike and brew last year out of Tampa Bay Brewing, and it was a lot of fun. Nice. The brewery. They're they the ones that do that food.
0: other west coast.
1: Uh no, that's Escape. So they're oh, up in escape. um yeah, they're up north, way north. But uh okay. that other west coast. I sent you one of those. Those those are
0: That's really good, yeah.
1: Those are pretty nice. I enjoyed that this is a lot lighter. Uh, it's also a lot less alcohol. I mean, it's only five and a five and a half. So okay. it's normal. normal drinking beer okay. drinkable.
0: Yeah. Not like the crazy. 8.5 percenters
1: <laughs> that I uh, so enjoy. Dude, it's funny. I was, I was at a bar and, um, last weekend and I was watching football and some out of towners. There's a ton of out of towners here cause it's cold everywhere else and you know they're asking about oh i want you know something really you know hoppy what's your good ipa and they're like well we got highline tap and they're like oh great i'll have one of those give me me a tall one and they're like okay you know it's like (laughs) eight (laughs) percent i was like for you know they're serving probably like a 16 ounce pour of an eight i think it's like an eight percent or seven and a half seven six something like that i'm like So that's probably like drinking about three beers right there. And it was, it was a woman. I was like, you're going to fall right on your face, but enjoy that beer. Great. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Hard in the paint, man. Got to go. If you're going to go, go hard in the paint. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. (laughs) How about you, man? What you got? You got cooking. Uh, I mean, the drinking game should be uh, what, what is Brian? What uh, ailment illness does he have now? Because this whole winter has just been a, just, constant just something
1: i don't know we were talking about this before you went from
0: so you had covid you had now you're on had a stomach virus thing and now i have like strep throat so it's just i i got it last my
1: throat is feeling scratchy just talking to you right now am i getting it through the mic
0: it started last thursday when i went skiing and then it just it hasn't gone away yet i'm like come on man like another thing i mean i was sick i got sick when we were up in boston and then, yeah, then it led into like COVID eventually. And then maybe I've just had the same thing for two months and has never gone away. I don't know. So I gotta go to the so goddamn doctor. Is there such a thing
1: as long COVID? Or is it just strep
0: throat? It's just never ending COVID. It's just strep throat. <laughs> like it, my throat just fucking hurts. And it's hurt. Like I can't sleep. It just sucks. Damn. So The whole family have it? No, just my stupid ass. I don't, I don't know. I, it's... Damn. I don't know. Whatever. It's another reason
1: to keep you in the basement.
0: This is why it's gotta push through. Um... I'm going with my traditional medicinal throat coat because my throat requires coating to feel good. Nice. And throw in some honey. I didn't put any booze in this time. Like, I don't know. I, I've done the booze thing a couple times this week, but today I'm trying to keep it light and clean, dude. I ate so much pizza today because it was just one of those days. I just had to go. I had to go into the office. They had pizza for us, so. I didn't have I one slice and a salad like a proper, like a gentleman who's not a fat shit would have. I had three <laughs> goddamn pieces of pizza. And you know, Any what? ice cream on top of that, you got to finish a, that off with ice cream. Surprisingly, not. And then mm. I came home and we had leftovers and we gotten pizza after we went skiing on Sunday. So I had, I had five slices of pizza today. Nice. I think 86% of what I consumed today was pizza. Wow. That's like, you know, people go to the gym. They're like,
1: what's today? It's leg day. Your Yours is like pizza day. It's just life. Life today was
0: pizza day. It's it's bad. And then, so I, I went skiing a couple of times this week. I went to Blue Mountain in Pennsylvania twice. Once by myself, nice. once with the fam. Last Thursday, I went by myself. And afterwards, I was like so hungry after skiing. I'm not going to eat the mountain. No, here's what I did. So I almost had like in my head the night before, I was like, where am I going to eat? Lucky me. Because uh, again, if you're married and have kids, you know, you like, if, you out, just, if you could just nice. get away for a few hours, I mean, it's like being on vacation. You're like, yeah, ooh, I get to make a choice for myself. This is amazing. <laughs> so I'm, thinking I'm not going to head, ask
1: anybody. I can just do what I want.
0: Whatever, right? the, whatever I wanted to. So I <clears> allegedly drank a beer in the car on the way to get lunch. Roadie. And I had three options that I was entertaining where, where I was in the, I guess, I don't know if it's considered Nazareth, Pennsylvania, but that was like my, the kind of the last stop before I got on the highway and was just going to you know beeline at home. I was looking at Wendy's because they have the pretzel baconator.
1: <laughs>
0: Chipotle because they have the carne asada right now, limited time only uh, or Chick-fil-A. Hmm. And Chick-fil-A again, not having an open Sunday, and that was when we we're going to go skiing next. I'm like, well, it's not going to be open then. So I'm going to go Gotta for get it Gotta get it now. Yeah. So I ended up going to Chick-fil-A. And I'm just one of these people, like, I don't understand how I eat, the way I eat, but I do. So I got there, whatever their nice little salad-y thing is with the chicken on it. It's got, like, a couple strawberries yeah, a salad and blueberries. It's very good. Salad with a little bit of chicken. It's got the apple cider vinegar dressing. All right. And for a side, I got four chicken strips. Boom, Most there you go. Eat the goddamn chicken strips for their meal. That was my side. And you know what? It isn't the first time I've done this.
1: Well, chicken on a salad, right? It's just a lot of chicken on a salad.
0: That's so it is. Yeah. But big chicken, small salad. The chicken strips <laughs> are delicious. If you haven't had them at Chick-fil-A, I would recommend them. They are good. And I was trying to be all... I'm thinking to myself, I'm being so good. I'm not having a sandwich with bread. And of course the chicken strips are breaded, but it's different. Because we have a canes down here.
1: And there's the canes. Have you heard of the canes? No. It's like another chicken outfit that's like people go bananas for. And by me, there's they put a canes right across the street from the Chick-fil-A. And it's fucking full on chicken war right there. (laughs) Chicken war. (laughs) The chicken war. It's a chicken showdown. Both both uh restaurants have lines out the out the door like it's crazy like, it's not raising think, canes is it uh i think it's called raising canes
0: raising canes okay
1: yeah i just know it as canes but i think there's it's a, called raising
0: canes there's a few floating around up here
1: yeah they're like people go bananas they got this this sauce that's pretty cool it's just kind of like chick-fil-a has their own sauce like everybody's got their own special sauce but then the chicken is like really good so like you go in for the chicken and it's all chicken, no burgers. It's all chicken. That's yeah. it. They tried putting uh, an Outback. They have um, Outback has like a fast food version of Outback and it's all burgers really? and stuff like that. Yeah. It's called the uh, Aussie grill. I think is what Aussie it grill, was called. Right? So they got the two chicken places across the street. Aussie grill. They <laughs> figure let's put it next to Chick-fil-A because we'll, we'll get some of the, you know, the, the meat bystanders that want a burger because they don't sell burgers. <laughs> That shit lasted six months and went out of business. Shut it down. All chicken town. <laughs> chicken town. <laughs> Big chicken drove them out of business. This is a chicken town. Because Outback's uh, headquarters right here in uh, in Tampa, Boomer Brand. Okay. So for them, they're like, hey, let's try this out. Uh, you know, they must have been like, great. You know, you got so much traffic in Chick-fil-A, like, they had to reroute the traffic there's like a a separate road that goes back <laughs> had to reroute the traffic a, for Chick-fil-A <laughs> oh it's crazy kensie did the same thing on the other side it's like wow there's like a side road that they can go on and route the traffic through the back it's it's just crazy and then they have all the kids with the headsets like getting your stuff before you even get there like it's it's a great system but it's big chicken and they drove the they drove that <laughs> other <drove> girl right out <laughs>
0: Oh, that's I so- tried
1: going all those girls. I was like, I don't feel like a burger from here. it's like, a get Chick-fil-A. Big chicken. Hey, well, you know. I get what you're saying about those chicken strips. And then we have PDQ down here. You have PDQ up there? PDQ? PDQ, it's all, they get the chicken tenders. Every once in a while, they run this deal. It's like 30 chicken tenders for like uh, some cheap amount. And it's like, just get them. We'll eat them. Just chuck them in the fridge and I mean, reheat them.
0: You almost have to feel bad for the chickens at this point. I mean, it's goddamn chicken holocaust every goddamn day. I wonder if they're like
1: growing these like, you know, 20 ton chickens just to get like that (laughs) much chicken tender. Like, how, where's the chicken tender come from? But then again, everybody likes eating white meat. People don't eat dark meat anymore. So the chicken tenders are part of the dark meat, right? So
0: are they really now? The tenders are like the the whitest piece of meat you can get. Is it? I don't know. What do they do with the dark meat then? Where's the dark meat go? Chinese restaurants. Salad? Chinese. (laughs) <laughs> i don't know Chinese restaurants so
1: you have a chicken is it all breast is it tenders is it light? like where Where does the chicken go
0: listen i don't know what it. kind of weird voodoo tyson is doing but i'm sure they're making some like <laughs> six breasted chickens up there or something free chickens man free Goddamn, chickens. freak giant breast implanted chickens or something i i'm sure they're doing it they slow to the chicken it's already marinated i don't know how they do that Pre-marinated from the inside. It's kind of smart. pre Yeah. All they feed him is like gravy. <laughs> like better, gravy. Seasoning. They just eat better than bouillon all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Crazy. It's madness. But it works. Know. But it works. So. Yeah. See, so I got Chick-fil-A. my. Tea. I'm just Chick-fil-A. a lot of Chick Fil A with a, a little lot of pizza. I'm just disg- I've been disgusting the last week, but. Well, this
1: is the post-holiday wind down. Like everybody's got a, you know, this is the time everybody goes to the gym. I'm really going to eat right. And then everybody's jumping off the wagon at about right now saying
0: I'm eating Chick-fil-A and pizza for lunch. That's one lunch. I started strong. I got started strong in January, <laughs> but then it just faded. But no, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not a quitter. I'm always the guy. I, I don't. I don't ever stop. Can't stop Won't stop. I just, I, I dive down. I'll eat like 87 cookies one day and it's right back to the gym. The next day we get back on the train.
1: Everything has a recall effect though. You go without and then you got to go. You full, you you hit it full, full on. You know, it's like the no booze January, you know, people are going to be like drinking three times as much in February.
0: Yeah. They're doing vodka tampons in February for Valentine's (laughs) day. It's like, Oh yeah. So that, that month off made a big difference, right? That's right. And then you got, you know, then you got the big holidays coming up.
1: You got, you know, St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's Day. Day. They uh, you're looking forward to Cinco de Mayo. It's Everybody close enough to on, Mayo. It's, it's Groundhog
0: good. Day. Everyone gets hammered on Groundhog Day.
1: What else is there to do? Watch the watch the Groundhog. Get hammered. Crunks the Tawny ham. Phil. Crunks <laughs> the tawny, <laughs> tawny Phil, man. <laughs> that's it, man. Right now we have Gasparilla going on. Next week is I'm going to be gone. I don't think I've been in town for Gasparilla, and that's the is that Mardi Gras it's like Mardi Gras, but it's like when the pirates – it's to celebrate against the pirates that were in the area. So they actually have all these dipshits dressed like pirates, and they actually come in on these cool boats, and they take over the town. But you will get these people that just come and cruise. They call them cruise, and they, they all get together, and they'll go out to bars and just freaking just party, just get obliterated. So this last weekend, they had like the children's parade. It was a little tamer, but everybody still uses uh, that excuse oh, p- to hit the bars.
0: The yeah, children's but everybody still hit the, the bars
1: all right so you hit the bars at night and then next week is like the adult parade which is the one that gets crazy and then they have something else after like the official one the official parade so it's named after i think gaspar the pirate so the pirate that terrorizes areas so that's what they all do everybody so like because now
0: it's funny right
1: yeah but that's the entire month of january then you hit february
0: Valentine's Day, but there's something else. There's another reason. Mardi right? Gras. Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras is like right in the beginning of February. Boom. President's Week.
1: Valentine's. St. Patrick's. You know. It's just not stop. I mean, what's in April? April. April Fool's Easter? Day. I don't know. East Easter. Everybody gets hammered on Easter. Good Friday. I can't get go to church. Ass, I keep right? getting in line for the hosts. Just keep getting
0: hammered. We're not eating meat today on Friday. Just whoop Beer's not meat, right? Pizza, pizza day. They had grandma's margarita pie today. I mean, how am I going to not get a piece of that? Yeah, that's my bad. Grandma's margarita, then they had grandma's with meatball and a slice of old damn. school pepperoni. Like, I mean, listen,
1: damn. My body is a temple. A lot of Italian food the next few days, go. my friend.
0: My body's a temple, but every temple has a garbage pail, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> that's- you got to have a dumpster. A slop sink.
1: That's right. Everything's got a dumpster. Yeah.
0: All right. So that about wraps up the good old app rate today. Let's go to ski news.
1: All right. First, to start out, X Games is starting this weekend. Taiga and X Games partner to electrify X Games Aspen 2024. So Taiga... Is going to revamp the X Games fleet of snowmobiles with electric Nomad sleds. So they're going to premiere the world's uh, it's the premier world's action event and Tiger Motors Corporation, Tiger, not the rapper Tiger.
0: T A I G A
1: (laughs) Canada's leading electric power sports brand announces first of its kind partnership that will make Tiger the exclusive. Electric snowboard provider of the X Games Aspen 2024, and if you guys are listening, we would love to have an exclusive X electric snowboard provider for the snowmobile, not snowboard. Snow snowmobile provider. Snowmobile, big difference. Aspen. I was thinking all different areas. I'm like, we could pull each other by snowboards. Like it'd be kind of fun. For nearly 30 years, X Games lived at the forefront of progression through its events, athletes, and partnerships. So this revolutionary partnership with Taiga uh, reinvents the athlete transportation on-site at X Games. The use of Tiger's next generation nomad sleds at X Games will reduce the emissions of its snowmobile fleet by up to 86%, taking a significant step towards lowering the event's carbon footprint. And we've talked about carbon footprint before, but uh, collaboration Tiger isn't just a sponsorship. It's a shared commitment to paving the way for more environment, environmentally conscious sports industry. Um, said Ashley Robbins, Vice President of Partnerships. Ashley Shave of <laughs> BMW. <laughs> Together. <laughs> Ashley Shave <laughs> <a> Tiger. <laughs> we aren't just aiming high. We're, we're forging a new path towards a lower carbon future. So, yeah. So, electric floods. I want to see what these things look like. I got
0: I mean, they look like normal <laughs> snowmobiles. Now they did say also that it's going to be less noisy. Obviously, because most electrics are are a lot less oh, noisy. That like could be good go and on. bad. That's good and bad yeah. because when you you can actually hear a snowmobile when you're you're doing whatever yeah, sneak up on you, You just get ganked by a snow. There could be gangs of electric snowmobiles not just taking skiers out. Possibly can you imagine that just all
1: oh, you just you don't hear the the mobile you just hear the rustling wind and yeah. coming up on stuff. Now they, up on
0: stuff. now they do say that it is uh emission free because it's electric but do we know nice. where the the power plants creating the electricity are getting their fuel do we know that mm. it's, it's probably, battery, coal. Battery. It's probably yeah. coal let's be honest i think it's like 60 percent of all battery powered cars are behind the scenes powered by coal just yeah bringing that point up that people like to very quickly glaze over and ignore.
1: This is when you find out like the batteries aren't reusable. They're, they're single use and they just chuck them right in the landfill after (laughs) right in the ocean.
0: Batteries also not the easiest thing to make. You need some conflict minerals like cobalt where you have children digging in the mines mines. to get that, but that's okay because we don't see it. We're good. We feel good about ourselves. Blood batteries, not blood diamonds. Yeah, right. but one thing that that is awesome is that there is no powertrain maintenance and doesn't require gas or oil, which is nice. Hmm. Will be interesting to see how it will fare in the cold, because that's always a concern, too, because there's been some issues with charging when it's extremely cold. I don't know what the temperatures are going to be like in Aspen this weekend. It's cool. It was all over the news last mm-hmm. few weeks, right? Yeah, Chicago was a mess with chargers. and. Yeah, specifically, but well, there was a few other spots. So it'll be interesting to see. They do say they offer 100 kilometers of range and can tow about 1,125 pounds. So hmm. cool. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I hope they work out well. It'll be cool to see. It's always nice seeing different innovations. I wonder if they're going to have like a weird sound. You know how electric cars have that weird like I don't even know what do you call that. That like sound a whir,
1: that they make. like a whirring. Like, a whoo. like it goes. Whoo. Yeah, like
0: a like yeah. a vacuum
1: in yeah. the distance. Like a ghost coming at you. It's like
0: a little yeah, like a ghost sound. It. Now yeah. is that like a requirement just to like some sort of safety feature to make sure you have some sound, or is that? I think it might be because if that was totally silent, you really wouldn't hear anything other than just the tires. The sound like the tire on the pavement. That's about oh, it, yeah. right? I mean, is it is it coming from the motors? Is it some sort of like. I mean, because obviously you do have moving parts in the motors. Is that coming off of that? Maybe. I don't know.
1: If I get Tesla, I'm going to shut, shut that thing off if I can. Cybertruck. Cybertruck's going to be totally silent. Cybertruck. Ninja, truck. Yeah. Ninja Cybertruck. they got to so, make something like Frozone used to travel on. That'd be the best, right? I love Frozone. He's my favorite superhero. I don't think he
0: even had skates. No, just Did he, like, built it. in blades into his feet. I don't know. I never looked at I that. I think so. Maybe. We got, we gotta look up Frozone. <laughs> so yeah, watch if you're watching the X games this weekend, check out those snowmobiles. I'm sure they're gonna talk about them a lot because it's pretty cool No, do it. They
1: have to push the electric agenda.
0: Yeah. As so we that's Aspen. We talked about Aspen last week because they have some new nine one one technology that is helping them to find some folks lost in the backcountry. Do you know where they could have used that technology? <laughs> In central Vermont last weekend, because 23 skiers and snowboarders had to be rescued from the Vermont backcountry.
1: I wonder who these people were.
0: This story, <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of questions. A mass so we, rescu- skied, <laughs> we skied
1: Killington a lot. And it's just funny. I'm like, where the hell were they at?
0: Now I love, I just love this first this first line in this article, "A mass rescue went down this weekend in Vermont after 23 skiers and snowboarders were reported missing during a cold snap that dropped temps into the single digits. The Killington Police Department received a call that seven to nine people were missing in the backcountry at about 3:30 p.m. on Saturday. The Vermont State Police's search and rescue team was brought in. It was determined that 21 people, including six juveniles missing. Hmm. So these were grown-ups who thought this was a wonderful idea and brought their children with them.
1: Go on, kids. are just a little bit further. Let's go.
0: The S&R team hiked and snowshoed approximately five miles in freezing temperatures to rendezvous with the missing skiers and snowboarders. After each person was found, they warmed up in fire trucks with the personal vehicles vehicles of first responders. I would have made them stand outside. <laughs>
1: They just get lost and stop and be like, "We got to hunker down here. Let's establish a pea corner and figure out who we're going
0: to eat first. Like, is this where the, um, chaos is, this like the is this the way to the umbrella bar? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, think I, I, I could I, hear the pickle bar from here.
1: Yeah, what the hell.
0: Just as the rescuers were wrapping up to leave, an additional call reporting that two others were lost in the back country came in. By nine thirty p.m the two skiers were also brought to safety. Ah, All right. So the press release talks about how at about 1,430 hours, that's 2.30 in the afternoon, to the the commoners, the Killington Police Department was notified that 79 lost skiers and boarders were in the backcountry. Killington officers spoke with vermont state police sar coordinator drew Clymer, and through investigation it was determined that there were a, a total of 21 lost individuals six of which were juveniles the decision was made to activate hmm. ksr who responded with 12 members team members hiked snowshoed and scanned approximately five miles in frigid temperatures to assist in evaluating and bringing those lost back to safety one out of the five woods they went yeah, those rescued warmed up in Killington Fire Department's heavy rescue truck and personal vehicles as the team was ready to clear. All right, they're just kind of saying what I just said. Hmm. Now,
1: the fact that like these were had to fire up the choppers or do this broad search from the air. It was a
0: pretty small area. Correct, but again, late in the day, it was very cold. I'm still. I I, I want to know where. These guys, like where was their exit point exactly? Now, again, we have skied Killington a million times. We've never ventured into the quote unquote Killington backcountry. We've talked to people who, you know, there's this one trail. If you go here, you can get over to Pico's. There's some known semi off-piece spots you can get yourself into. The nice thing is though, the if you if you kind of stay north or I guess north or east you're going to hit route 4 which is, you know, pretty significant two lane road. Yeah.
1: I don't think it's that far either.
0: But if you go south, there's a whole lot of nothing because you're basically in the Coolidge State Forest at that point. And if you go a little bit west of well south and west of the resort, you actually have the Appalachian Trail there. So you there there is some probably sign markers, trail markers, something. And there's even some shelter along the way. I'm, looking at, just, I'm just looking at Google Maps right now, and there's a spot that actually shows a cement shelter like right, right alongside oh. where the Appalachian Trail is. So there's stuff. next the a goddamn Wobbly Barn? <laughs> actually, the complete opposite direction of the Wobbly Barn. It's oh. 180 degrees the other direction. <laughs> I want to know, like, did these people have a plan? Like, what were they doing? Was this, like, did they, was it, was it like was bad it like advice on top of bad advice? Were they going to go and sacrifice somebody? Like, to have six juveniles with you? Like, that seems like a stupid-ass thing to do, especially when it was that cold. I think the high up there that on Saturday must have been like 15 or something. So it was a cool I just hit day. the nail on the head. The high up there. Maybe they were high as <laughs> And they were just wandering around lost. I just don't know what kind of asshole would bring a bunch of kids out there with them. Like that's some, that's some messed up crap. Right there. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. Man. A lot, I have just, a lot more questions than what I'm getting here.
1: More questions than answers reading the art. The more you read, the more you say
0: there's a lot of stuff missing here. A lot of questions. And I don't know if we'll ever get those answers, but yeah, it's something just, there's something about it that seems a little fishy, you know. Oh, that's funny.
1: They have one of these articles has a sign on it. It says, "The mountains will be just as cold and lonely tonight as they were 200 years ago. Point of no return." <laughs> yeah, like I they have all that. these signs up.
0: <laughs> that's phenomenal.
1: And they're like, "Yeah, don't worry about that sign. I know where I'm going. Go, kids. Come on, this way a little further. Let's walk another 10 minutes."
0: So, just to give you a little bit of perspective. The high on Saturday was nine degrees. Damn, nine People degrees. Need for a walk in the in the snow. Yeah, you know, sun's starting to set. Let's go and let's go forge on and see what we can do. Yeah. Uh, Lewis and Clark, this some bitch, because no one's ever been back here ever. Because the no, no one's taking the. Think we keep trail. going. What do you guys think? Let's keep going. Yeah, I think we can find some freshies back here.
1: <laughs> yeah were they just hiking or did they even get to ski that would be sad if they didn't even get to ski
0: i uh, i don't even know I, I can't even wrap my head around this but <laughs>
1: like the sopranos
0: are eating freaking ketchup and mustard packets. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> freezing their nuts off <laughs> <laughs> god damn paulie walnuts and christopher out in the backcountry <laughs> I lost my ski. I lost my ski, Christopher.
1: <laughs> what are you doing?
0: Eating a ketchup packet? God damn
1: it. You share that with me. <laughs> uh, damn. That's crazy stuff. Great, nope. great. All right. Next up, we have heli skiing helicopter crash in British Columbia leaves three dead and four critical. Uh, three people have died and four others are in critical condition following a heli skiing helicopter crash in the mountains north of Terrace, British Columbia. Uh, the incident involving a helicopter operated by Northern Escape heli-skiing occurred around 4 p.m. Monday, January 22nd, and emergency services responded to the crash, including three air ambulances and five ground ambulances. Critically injured were taken to Millsmore Hospital in Terrace Joint Rescue Coordination Center um, were also involved in the response. So they're working with authorities to investigate the crash, um, and that's really, you know, they said that there's a lot of sorrow over the loss, emphasizing the close the nature of the skiing community. Uh, but what an unfortunate thing! The um, I don't, they don't say why it went down.
0: Yeah, that's uh, they didn't really have all the details. I mean, this just happened yesterday, so it's pretty, pretty, yeah. f- f- pretty, you know, recently happened. I mean that's like, uh, you know, like it's like the uh, Alanis Morissette song, ironic, right? Like you're you go and heli skiing, and you think it's gonna be this fun, awesome thing, and then you crash. Like this, like the last possible thing you could want or uh, expect.
1: So it's it's awful. definitely a yolo moment, that's for sure.
0: Oh, it's. I, I mean, I, I I can't think of going from joy to misery to. So quickly, hmm. and like, there's no other. I, I, I can't think of another yeah. activity that, like, think about how psyched you'd be to get in that heli to go up there, and then to have it all end like that. It's just the worst.
1: And it's horrible. Oh. Our yeah. hearts go out to the families and friends of them. um very sad, but it's just weird how there's no details on like what happened, why, like nothing. So, 4, I, like you said, 4 they're PM. probably still investigating.
0: Yeah, it doesn't mention yeah. about the weather. Um, yeah, I mean, it happened about 24 hours ago because we're recording this on the 23rd in the uh, early evening, and this happened on 4 p.m. on Monday, the 22nd. So it's still still pretty recent, and I'm there sure more details know. are going to come out, but ugh, it's it's hmm. the last thing you'd ever want to have happen, obviously, when you're doing this. So <sighs> Absolutely sucks. And we got one final... Story in the ski news today, and this one I I just found very pertinent to the things we've been talking about the last couple weeks, and kind of rolls nicely into our main topic too. It's a letter to the editor, the folks at Unofficial Networks, and it says, "Ski culture is dead in America." Hmm. This is from good old Ron from Montana. I am reaching out as a passionate member of the skiing community, deeply concerned about the apparent decline in the once vibrant American ski culture. Reflecting on the past when skiing was more than just a sport, but a lifestyle embraced with enthusiasm and joy. I feel compelled to discuss the changes we are witnessing today and suggest ways to breathe new life into the beloved culture. In the heyday of the eighties and nineties, skiing in America was synonymous with adventure camaraderie and a unique sense of freedom. Ski towns were buzzing hubs of activity where the love of the mountains created strong, inclusive communities. Today, however, the landscape has shifted. The increasing commercialization of ski resorts and the rising costs associated with the sport have made it less accessible. The sense of community that once defined ski culture is being overshadowed by a more transactional experience and the focus on performance, often amplified by social media, has diverted the ethos from pure enjoyment to outcome-oriented goals. To revive the essence of American ski culture, we need to focus on making skiing more affordable and accessible. This means exploring ways to offer more reasonable pricing and community-sponsored programs that can encourage wider participation. Building a sense of community both on and off the slopes is also crucial. Local events, ski clubs, and gatherings can foster connections and rekindle the communal spirit that is at the heart of ski culture. We should not forget to celebrate the rich history and traditions of skiing by highlighting the heritage through events, storytelling, and media. We can keep the legacy alive while embracing modern advancements in the sport. Another critical aspect is environmental stewardship. Skiing is deeply connected to nature and focusing on sustainability and conservation can unite the community under a shared cause, ensuring the protection of our cherished ski habitats. Finally, It is vital to work towards making ski culture more inclusive and diverse, reflecting the varied population that enjoys the sport. Addressing any barriers to entry and creating a welcoming environment for all is key to nurturing a culture that is truly representative of its participants. The spirit of adventure, community, and joy that once defined American ski culture is still within our reach. By addressing these concerns and taking active steps towards change, we can not only revive this culture, but also ensure it's flourishing for future generations. Thank you for providing a platform for this important discussion. I know unofficial networks gets in gets it, and I'm optimistic that as a community we can bring about a resurgence of the rich culture that makes skiing in America so special. Sincerely, Ron from Montana.
1: It's very well written. I think there's a lot of lot in there that resonates, which which I like.
0: Yes, uh, it definitely does, and you know the community part is definitely the best part of ski culture, because no matter whether you're you've been doing it for a year you've been doing it your whole life, just hanging out with ski people is the best. They are the the coolest people, the most down to earth, the most fun, the most interesting and the more you can actually like think about how many times you've been on a chairlift and you're like a random conversation starts and you just hear some funny story, a funny joke, meet someone interesting, cool from a weird place, unique place. It's it's yeah. like what other sport do you just randomly encounter someone? It's like it's almost like in, uh, in Fight Club, you know, when he talks about it, his uh, single serving friends when he's on the plane. Yeah. Um, meets Tyler Durden. <laughs> meets Tyler Durden. yeah it's almost like that it's like you have these like these like relationships it's like speed dating in a way you have these little tiny chairlift relationships people you meet at it, like you just all have this great connection this love of this amazing sport that connects you and just creates an instant friendship and it's tough because like,
1: yeah no good okay but even like the, you know, he talks about the local events and ski clubs. Um, I started skiing because of a ski club. I didn't have a pot to piss in. And I was like, hey, this is cheap to go skiing. Bunch of friends were joining the ski club. Let me join. And that's kind of how I got into the sport. And without that, without it being affordable and being there as a club, I probably would have never gone just on my own skiing, you know?
0: Yeah. That's like way a way for me to get a friends drug. that
1: ski. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, and especially for kids too. If they're in a, if you're in a school or you're, you're nearby to a resort and having a ski club, like that's, that's such a huge way because then you're doing it with your friends. And once you start doing it with your friends, it becomes part of your, your bond and you want to keep yeah. doing it
1: which is cool. And then you have friends to go with and it's like, Hey, you want to go skiing this week? Yeah, let's go skiing. Let's go drive up to the mountain. And you're, you're going to a local mountain. You know, it's a, it's a lot of local stuff. Everything now is sensationalized. There's a lot of sensationalization on skiing. And that's why people are, I think are embracing like the smaller indie mountains because they're like, Hey, that was, that was where I started That That had a lot. It meant a lot to me and it's very accessible. And I think people started forgetting that a little and the Indian mountains are making a comeback, I think because of it, but there's still the sensationalization to it where people are putting on social media, Hey bro, look at what I did. I'm i I'm a Jackson hole or Hey, I'm at, um, <laughs> I'm in Utah right now. It's always these big places, not, Hey man, I'm at the local ski mountain hanging with my, you know, my kids or with my friends. We're just having a day out, right? 500
0: feet of dirt, baby. It's all we need.
1: It yeah, just a day out on the mountain with your friends, having fun, you know. Yeah. But now tickets are what two hundred average for a day, you know. It's it's, yeah. it's craziness. I mean,
0: well, yeah, that so that actually, I think we might as well just kind of commingle these stories and go into our main topic then, because a lot of the things that Ron from Montana brought up in his article, or yeah. his letter to the editor, talk are talked about in here. And give some of the the groundwork, the framework on how perhaps the things that we don't like about ski culture right now, how they were formed and have manifested over the last couple of decades. So the article is called Powder and Profit, and it was released just this week by The Hustle, the hustle.co. We'll have the link in the show notes if you want to check it out. And, you know, it talks about how, you know, the first week of January, if you went to Vail and just bought a ticket at the window, it was $299. Yeah. The highest single tick, lift ticket ever, which is actually $100 more than it was six years ago. But it turns out also that over New Year's weekend, Steamboat and Beaver Creek and Park City also had one day tickets at $299. And it's not as if they were special, you know, like you know, they have surge pricing with Uber. It's not like it was, Hey, we just got two feet of snow surge pricing. They didn't even have yeah. a single inch of snow over New Year's weekend.
1: Mm. It's just, just the cost of going
0: at that point. Pretty much the cost of going. But so, what gets so, me is like,
1: so these resorts are pumping up ticket prices, right? Mm-hmm. And, I would imagine a lot of the draw for the National Park Service to say hey let some of these ski resorts operate in the parks because they're underutilized in the winter. So yeah, we'll get a little revenue, you know, for the for the government, for the park system, but we'll also get people out to enjoy the national parks a little bit in some way. And now it's turned into this territorial territorial like, you know, elite kind of experience where it's like you know, a lot of these places are still using our national parks that we as taxpayers own.
0: Yeah. Well, the business of skiing has gotten in the way of skiing is yeah. really what it comes down to. So this, this stat was pretty cool. The, uh, despite the rate, rising cost of single-day tickets, American Ski Resorts saw 65.4 million skier snowboarder visits in 2022-2023. Mm. Highest number ever. And they're saying a lot of that is fueled by the big passes from Vale and Altera, which makes sense. (laughs) Well, yeah, that too. Everybody wanted to get out after COVID. Well, a lot of folks too are, you know, still working remote or have you know set themselves up to work remote, so they have ability to, you know, it says sixty five point four million visits. It would be cool to see a breakdown of unique how visits, right? long what unique visits or how long each visit was because a lot of folks mm. now could go well you know i've got an epic pass i live near you know i live in silverthorne i can go to breck for an hour before i start work i can yeah. go you know i'll go to keystone for two hours at lunch you know like you have that option to 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 do instead of going to the gym i'm gonna go ski for a few hours like that's right. that's yeah. not if you had to spend 299 bucks to go skiing for an hour, you wouldn't do it. But if you have a pass, why not? It's perfect. Damn. And so although demand has soared to record heights, there are fewer ski resorts than there were 40 years ago and almost no opportunities to build new ones. That has led to overcrowding at ski resorts operated by Vale and Altera, but has boosted independent ski areas, which have also broken records for skiers and revenues. Hmm. So then it kind of goes into the history of you know, how did these two corporate giants come to be? And it goes into the history that December 14th, 1980, the chairman for Vale Resorts and a group of luminaries that included former President Gerald Ford gathered at the foot of a mountain outside Vale for a day of luxury, a ribbon cutting ceremony, roast beef and ham dinner, and a cocktail reception. Hmm. One attendee told the local Daily Sentinel he could almost see dollar signs carved in the trees. It was opening day for Beaver Creek Resort, one of the most hyped ski areas in Colorado history and a symbol for the sport's turn toward luxury and growth. A few decades earlier, the U.S. Forest Service jumpstarted the industry by carving modest ski trails into federal forest lands. The organization began leasing permits for the areas to private groups. Leading to the development of famed resorts like Alta in Utah, Taos in New Mexico, and Keystone Vale and Breckenridge in Colorado. So, interesting factoid here more than one fourth of ski areas are leased by the federal government. So, 122 have a landlord, and 358 are ski areas on private land.
1: Hmm.
0: Wow. The operators of the resorts paid pennies on the dollar for the permits. By the 70s, the U.S. had more than 700 ski areas with over 100 in federal forests. Which is a big difference from 480 that they have now. Right. But the growth ended there. Beaver Creek ended up as the last major ski resort to open in Colorado and one of the last to open in the U.S. By the 80s, nearly all the best land for ski areas, mountainsides that got enough snow and had terrain for green, blue, and black slopes, was used up. At the same time, new environmental regulations and protests over the development of federal forest land made building resorts more litigious and more expensive. Before its opening ceremony, Beaver Creek endured years of uncertainty. Vail Resorts originally filed for a permit with the Forest Service to develop Beaver Creek in the early 70s to help host the 76 Winter Olympics. I did not know that. That's pretty cool. Hmm. But Denver Denver residents voted to reject funding for the Olympics, forcing the International Olympic Committee to select a new host city and putting the planned resort at risk. 76 Olympics. Do You know where they were?
1: Mm,
0: no. Montreal, right? Was it Montreal? I'm look at it. Now. I'm pretty sure this was at the Summer Games. 1976 Olympics. Oh, that's
1: back when East damn the same year. Right. Uh, Montreal 76.
0: That was summer. It was Innsbruck, Austria. Ah. Aha, uh-huh. so 76 was the Summer Olympics.
1: Innsbruck, yeah.
0: Montreal was the Summer Olympics, and Innsbruck, Austria, was the Winter Olympics.
1: Hmm. Look at that! There they totally go. switched locations altogether.
0: Yeah, it was awarded to Innsbruck after Denver withdrew in
1: 1972.
0: Damn! Ah, uh, Denver. Way to go, Denver! Way to go, Denver! To go, Denver. Denver voters! Yeah,
1: yeah. Always messing things up.
0: So that's pretty interesting little factoid there. So. And then an outgoing governor's administration recommended the Forest Service approve permits for Beaver Creek in January of 75, days before a new governor who planned a moratorium on ski areas took office. That's such hmm. a that's such a like politician move to just like sneak something in because you know the They're next the clock, to man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Beaver Creek wasn't the only resort facing turmoil, difficulties were reverberating through the industry. With the inability to add more resource, that means you have to get into an arms race, says Michael Childers, author of Colorado Powder Keg, Ski Resorts and the Environmental Movement, and a professor at Colorado State University. You have to start increasing development on the resource you have. So ski areas started to invest more in lodging, restaurants, high-speed chairlifts, and snowmaking machines, the latter becoming an absolute necessity so ski areas could stay open as much as possible. So given the hmm. high cost of capital improvement, Childers says the industry started consolidating into just a few corporate and investment firms. Some were an odd fit for skiing. Moore and Munger Inc., a wax and petroleum company, bought two major resorts in Vermont. Hmm. The movie studio. Wonder tw- one. I wonder one, which ones? Let's look it up. That up. Look it up. That up. Jamie, can you look that up for us? The movie studio 20th Century Fox purchased Aspen Skiing Company, owner of three Colorado resorts. Many independent ski areas didn't survive merging or closing. By 2000, the number of U.S. ski areas declined to 489. It's now at 480. One dominant player emerged, Vail Resorts. Beaver Creek was just the second resort it operated after Vail, but after going public in the late 90s, the company went on a buying spree. Vail Resorts now operates 38 ski areas, according to the National Ski Areas Association. Its biggest competitor, Altera Mountain Company, formed after the merger of two financial firms and the resort company IntraWest in 2017. It operates Ooh. 17 resorts. Oh, wow. Do you have Warren I found it. Mornmonger. Guess which two Vermont ski areas? They're very popular. Killington? Nope. Not Killington. Stowe? I'll give you one of them. Stratton. Right.
1: Stratton. And the other one starts with Sugarbush. Bromley? Bromley. Bromley. Interesting. All right. Bromley and Stratton. Isn't that wild?
0: Hmm. That is. So, so Vale's they got sold
1: to the owners of Magic Mountain. They sold Bromley to the owners of Magic Mountain.
0: Really? Back
1: in 87.
0: Oh, back in the day. Okay. Yeah,
1: that's crazy. Pretty
0: well stuff. So vale has got 38, Altera's got 17, Mountain Capital Partners has 10, Boyne USA has 10, and Powder Corp has 10. Hmm. So those are the big owners right now. So both companies try to gain an edge by investing in high-speed lifts and gondolas to whisk skiers to the top of slopes as quickly as possible. They also own nearly everything at the base of the mountain, From rental stores to gourmet restaurants to hotels and condos. In the 2010s, those ancillary cash streams often brought in more revenue for Vail Resorts than money from the ski lift. Hmm. The business of skiing is more important than the skiing. But by far the most transformative change to Vail Resorts Altera in the industry was season passes. Vail released the first Epic Pass in 2008. Skiers could pay $579 and visit Vail, Breckenridge, Beaver Creek, Heavenly, and Keystone as as often as they wanted for the upcoming ski season. It wasn't the first season pass. Colorado's Winter Park offered a heavily discounted pass in the late 90s, starting the trend. But this pass granted entry to five resorts, which at the time charged up to $90 for a single ticket. So, mm-hmm. Vale oh. sold 59,000 passes the first year, totaling 32.5 million. That number increased to 650,000 in 2016, 1.2 million in 2019, and 2.4 million in 2023 for $900 mm. million dollars in sales. Whew. Holy
1: balls. That was limited availability, limited to the amount they could sell,
0: right? Yeah, limited avail ability <laughs> The cost for an epic pass for the 23-24 season started at 909. Wow. Last spring rising as the ski season approached and offered buyers unlimited admission to every Vail Resorts ski area.
1: Hmm.
0: So during right. an earnings call December 2023, Vail Resorts CEO Kirsten Lynch said passes made up 73% of the company's yeah. overall lift ticket revenue. Giving the business more stable uh, stability, upfront yep. money, upfront money, it's a hedge for seasons with lower snowfall and bad weather. Plus, Vale Resorts and Altera, which has a similar Icon Pass, can reinvest in lift technology and snowmaking and charge a premium for single day entry. Hmm. Skiers, meanwhile, have seized on the discount and started skiing more frequently. Ski weekends in many parts of Colorado have gotten longer. Says Childers, with people arriving a day earlier or staying a day later. US skier visits for the 22 23 season at 65.4 million were up nearly 10% since the first year of the Epic Pass. And the sport is growing. The total number of US skiers reached 11.6 million last year, up from 10 million in 2008. Wow. Then they're showing a, a chart here that shows the lift tickets have grown as a share of the revenue. As passes have become more popular. So it it peaked out in 2021 with 57%. I think that's probably too cuz people couldn't go dining, people didn't want to stay places cuz they were all freaked out from covid. But for the most part it's been ranging trending upwards um starting at 41% in o or in 2016 now at 49%. But think of that
1: concept. So you're getting 73% of your revenue before you even have a season. So that's like you're in the green yeah. already before the season even starts. Like you got upfront money coming in and it's if you don't do well and you don't please your guests, you still got their money. Yeah. It's kind of crazy.
0: It's, it's, it's a smart business model is what it is. Again, great, yeah. for, great for the ski companies, not great for the skiers. Right. But again, not everyone is happy because season passes and the growth of Altera and Vail have attracted their fair share of critics. Skiers bemoan crowded slopes caused by season pass holders flocking to whichever ski area has the best snow in a given weekend. Mountain town residents are angered by the corporate makeovers and job cuts after resort acquisitions, as well as companies' contributions to skyrocketing housing costs. Hmm. Families who make a last-minute decision to ski can end up paying exorbitant prices for single-day tickets. But then there's one group who's been surprisingly pleased with Altera and Vale's business model, and that is indie ski areas. Oh yeah, we know um, well. Yeah. So in 2019, Vale Resorts expanded further into the East Coast with its purchase of Peak Resorts, the owners of several areas. In Vermont, New York, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania, they were now competing in the same territory as independent resorts like New Hampshire's Pat's Peak, Vermont's Magic Mountain, and Massachusetts' Berkshire East. Except it hasn't felt like direct competition. It opened up space for us, as crazy as that sounds, says John Schaefer, whose family has owned Berkshire East since 1976 and who bought New York's Catamount ski area in 2018. In Schaefer's view, Peak Resorts had been been trying to provide a larger scale version of what indie operators did. Offering group discounts, midweek deals, and experiences that varied at each ski resort. But Vail Resorts has done the opposite. Streamline operations and focus on passes and expensive day tickets. Where Hmm. online single day tickets range from $100 to $135 at Vail's Mount Snow in late January... Berkshire East tickets went from $38 to $71. Since 2018, Schaefer's revenues have more than doubled. He attributes the gains to the increase of skiers in the U.S. to indie resorts touching the right cord as resorts operated by Altera and Vale experience a crush of traffic and visitors. Hmm. A lot of people like the Big Mountains. They like to have a few cocktails afterwards and all the amenities and being around thousands of other folks having fun. That's got its own energy too. We just seem to find more and more people that like what we're up to, and that's working for us. And then same kind of thing about Pat's Peak. Um, So they're saying that 60% of their uh, season passes are now 60% of lift ticket revenue up from 25% 10 years ago. Wow. Overall lift ticket revenues account for 40% of revenue with food and drink and ski school coming at coming in at fifteen to twenty percent each.
1: That's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: so it's nice it's cool that, to see the indies, you know,
1: make it too, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about the indie pass too. I mean, you're not getting unlimited skiing, so you're not. It's not going to override those resorts, which is great because that's sort of the the big issue like they talked about with the with the altera um the epic and the icon passes is that where's the best snow that's where we're going here it's like hey man do we want to go here We only got two days there it, it's just it changes your mindset a bit you're not going to go for an hour maybe you're going to make sure make a day of yeah. it and, yeah it, it, and again too you're seeing these indians resorts like they're what started all that awesome ski culture that The uh, previous uh, article talked about like that's what made it fun is the community like those small places. It's more of a community because it's everyone kind of going there. Everyone's doing on the same page. When you go to the big Vail resorts, it's more of a, you know, go to Vail. There's definitely a vibe there and it is great. It's such a fun place to ski, but there's also a lot of other stuff you have to Hmm. take part in to be part of it. You know,
1: one of the things I don't like about it is, so even the old ski club we used to ski with in your old hometown that you used to live in, not even to mention them, um, they advertise, they, they do their trip planning based on one of the passes. So they'll be like, we're going to focus on Icon because a lot of the members were like, well, I want to buy Epic or Icon and I really want to get my money's worth. So I don't know if I'll be in the ski club. So what they do is, they cater to that. So now they're like, a lot of the trips that are planned are on one of those passes so that you can use your pass that you bought to go on their ski trips. Well, that's fine. But one of the benefits of being part of a ski club is you get a discount. That's usually usually what it used to be. You get a discount second to none, and you get to go to these places that you wouldn't normally go. So it's kind of changed the narrative of even ski clubs Going places that were either unique or you know you would never go to that now they're kind of centralizing on well we have you know out of five trips we have four of them are going to an icon or a, an epic pass resort that you can use that pass at so it's kind of it's changed even that which is I think it hurts hurts the ski clubs a little bit yeah I I guess, mean, you really you know, decide
0: like are, are we going to be a what kind of club are we going to be? Are we going to be an icon club? We're we going to be a, an epic club. I mean, it's, it, like you said, it can really yeah. change the vibe of the kind of, you know, what you're going to be as a, as a ski club. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And it's, you know, the nice thing is that art, you can figure out what vibe you're at and what you're looking for as a skier. Now, I think that's kind of, that's a positive thing about this
1: but i in general I, though like the ski towns have changed right They're mm-hmm. a lot of the ski towns aren't the sleepy old ski town anymore it's the sleepy old ski town that now has late night partying and bars and stuff like that you know they usually just have bars and something to do but it's changed a little bit like because they want to cater to the people coming in
0: well even more yeah. so you know all the all the condos on the mountain people Getting Airbnbs, so a lot of times it would be say you know back in the eighties you bought a condo, you know, local hill. I'm talking Poconos. Maybe you're a Camelback. Yeah. You bought a condo on Camelback, and you bought it for sixty thousand dollars. It's your like weekend family getaway place, right? And you'd get to know all the other people in around because everybody just would go up on the weekends, and you'd see the same yeah. people. You'd build some camaraderie. Like, oh, you know, why don't we go skiing together? Oh, okay, cool. We're, we're kind of on the same vibe. Let's go and you make friends. You build a community that way. Now everyone is buying real estate as a store of value because you can't just keep your money in cash because you're not going to get the return on it. So everyone put their money into real estate. So every ski town, look at the prices of anything over the last 10 or 20 yeah. years. I mean, you know, our buddy Justin up at Killington the time when he bought his his condo was absolutely perfect. It's done nothing but appreciate since he bought it back in 2014 or so. Yeah. And that's just one example. I mean, I, I've been following Ski Town Real Estate for probably a decade now. And we're going to have an upcoming episode where we kind of... We talk about some stuff. I, I, I got some some numbers to throw out to people. But you look at, and I mentioned Camelback too, because that's one of the, uh as an icon pass holder, one of the places they added. And I was looking at the amount. There's, there's one little condo complex that's right on the mountain there. And I got to tell you, probably 30% are for sale right now. Oh, wow. Well. And you look at it, I mean, I think they're all pretty much the same, like or, or relatively similar three-bedroom, two-bath layouts. I, I got it, at least every two to three, I guess 20 to 30% are for sale right now. It's wow. bananas. I'm sure people just went in and were maybe before COVID or during COVID, they're like, we got to just buy something. It's a getaway place We'll Airbnb it. But everybody did the same thing everybody bought in a certain time we're going to airbnb them out well they also have a brand new hotel with indoor water park there hmm. so if you have a choice between getting a hotel with a free water park for your kids or staying at a condo that they're trying to gouge you for where are most families going to stay they're going to stay at the new place with the water park inside exactly uh, it's just there's so many it's not it, you can't just like buy something now. Like there's no just, there's no cheap ski town deals. I, yeah. That's not true. That's not true. There are some, there are some, but most of these ski resorts now have bought into that model where we have this. Well, the resorts
1: the, are actually but doing the buying too, not yeah, just investors. But,
0: but right. that's the way they're building them out. There's the, there's yeah. the hill and we're going to build the, condos the townhouses the houses the stores the restaurants we're going to build this all around here and this is just what we do this is how we have to to lay it out and it's it's well
1: they yeah. don't want other people to make the money they want to make the money so they make the money but it doesn't serve a town the town mm-hmm. serves them and it's like yeah. so where do you do your housing for for people that work there Ah, oh, we don't care we're just accommodating guests well there's real problems that they're causing by that, you know, not affordable housing. They ruin like a, an actual town. It's becoming a resort town, not, not a town that it used to be, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, look at places like, you know, as an example, like, like Jackson hole or Telluride and places that we've been to, we've talked to people we've seen, I mean, nobody can afford to live in Telluride who is a normal hourly employee. Yeah. I mean, a two bedroom condo is going to be in the million, is over a million dollars.
1: Well, look at Whistler. We were talking to several people that work there and they were like, yeah, there's like six of them sleeping in a one bedroom house. It's like, what world are we living in? Right. But they're just like, we have to do that. They're paying a crap load in rent. And it's because that's the only thing nearby that they can get.
0: Yeah. And it's just, there's certain areas where they, the mountain area, like the direct, like just right next to the mountain, that all has just been so priced out for those people. And if there's, again, if it's those one of those areas where it's surrounded by national parks, state parks, that there's nowhere to build, you have to drive however far that is to live. Yeah. So say the next town is 20 miles away and it's the winter time. This isn't like you're taking a, a highway, 20 miles, 20 minutes, this could take you an hour, two hours, three hours to go make fifteen bucks an hour, twenty bucks an hour, right? Like that—that's not even like you can barely live at that at that rate at that cost. Yeah. So I don't, Crazy and there's no easy solution because obviously, hey, say the prices were half what they were, I'd I'd buy a condo in Telluride, Jackson Hole if it was half price, but. So would everybody else, which is yeah. when you look at supply and demand, that's how it works it it's it's just that real estate has become such a store of value for people that people are just buying up as second, third, fourth homes, and renting them out or even just sitting on them if they can
1: wells so also like like for a business, it's the monetization of everything, right there's nothing that is homegrown in that in that solution. It reminds me of Vegas, right Vegas used to be all about the casino and all the stuff around. They would just give away just to make sure you come into Vegas. And then they turned and they said, look, let's monetize the crap out of everything. People come here to Vegas, not just to gamble, but to go see a show and, and to do some cool stuff. And it's, you know, the entertainment factor kind of, it took over what Vegas was. And now it's this whole something different than it used to be. Maybe better, maybe worse, depends what you think about it. But I think the same thing's happening in these ski towns. You know, it used to be a town that had skiing. Now it's a ski destination with a town that you can do stuff in and it's like okay, but it's it's a different vibe, you know? Yeah. And I get it. it's ruined it's a, in a way it's ruined that that quaint little ski town that was there for a long ass time that now looks like Disneyland. Like it, after a while that every ski town starts looking similar, you know? I mean, you look at Tremblant to Whistler, and it's interested, put their stamp on it. They built it out very similar, and it's almost like a cookie cutter. That's the art, you know, that's the knock a lot of people have against it. Is Tremblant's just a cookie cutter mini version of Whistler. <clears throat> right? All the same stores, similar layout. Like it's it's kind of but then you go to Vale, very similar. You go to and you start going to ski resorts and you you kind of look at them and some of them start blending together. You're like, well, this could be any ski resort, you know?
0: Well, yeah, that was also the time before the big passes. Like you didn't have the, you were less likely to go to those other places right? before the icon and an epic passes. You're like, well, I live here and I go to this place. And, but now I think it's almost, they're a victim of their own success because now their people are going to all these other places and going, "Wow, this is the same kind of cookie cutter crap they did here. Right. They did in this other place."
1: It's like when you go skiing, you want to get a shirt or a hat, and you go into the stores and you start looking at them and you start realizing, "I saw the same exact shirt and same that hat design when I was in Telluride, and you're in Vail, and then you go to Whistler, it's the same exact thing. It just says Whistler instead of Vail."
0: Like it's they just have those templates and they just put whatever name stamp it on there, send it out. Yep. So after a while, you know, I used to always get a shirt and a hat. Now I'm like,
1: no, I don't need one. Maybe I'll get a sticker. That's about it. And all the stickers are the same. So it's just kind of, you know, um, it ruins the mystique of it because you're like, Oh, did you actually go to Vail? No, I just got the shirt. (laughs) You know, it used to be, wow, you went to the Vail. That's pretty cool. You got that on your thing. It's like, no, you didn't even go there. You just, you got the shirt. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't know. There's there's something different about it. Uh, I wouldn't say it's bad or good or bad for me personally. It's more more bad than good for ambiance, but more good than bad for knowing they have the same luxuries and comforts at every ski resort.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and again, a little bit of it too is little sour grapes. You know, if if we were rich. And had a bunch of spots. Like if we if we had places out in Vale, place in Jackson, like we'd be, you know, a lot more happy about it. You know, we'd uh, it would make more sense to us. But you know, unfortunately, it's there's definitely a little bit of sour grapes because we wish we we could be those people living there. But you know, yeah, but I just
1: think like if you were to blindfold somebody, take them to one of the ski resorts and bring them into the town, and they look around if you hide all like the the logoed stuff going on in some way, you'd have a tougher time pinpointing where you are. Whereas back in the day, you could say, oh, this is definitely Telluride. This is definitely Jackson Hole. You, know, you see the, the antler things around and you know, like, ah, oh, that's Jackson Hole. That's kind of their, their signature thing, right? They still have some of that, but I don't know. I would argue that some of that's being lost.
0: It definitely is. They're, they've definitely taken a lot of that away and making it, again, more cookie cutter.
1: It's like going from Action Park to a real water park, right? Action Park was real. You might die. Like that's kind (laughs) of, it was an X factor that you were like, this is Action Park. You're not at any other, you're not at Great Wolf Lodge. You're at freaking Action Park. Like
0: you're going to die today. This this is real. (laughs) This is real. Yeah. This isn't Sesame Place. They don't want to see you again. Like you got to earn another visit, but you got to stay alive and earn it.
1: Right. <laughs> shit's about to get real.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, if I don't anybody know.
1: does a No Action Park. You got to look that that documentary up.
0: Class Action it. Park. Yes, look it up. <laughs> Tremendous. And we were there. We were there. We, we lived to tell the tale. Yeah. But yeah, it's. uh I don't know how it's going to get better. I really don't. I don't know if it can at this point. Uh, it's again. I've I've listened to I listened to a lot of different podcasts about, you know, money and history of money and economics and, and Bitcoin and you know, it's it's a lot of this has come because of the the way our dollar has been it's not backed by by gold, by anything anymore. It's just a, it's by decree, it's by fiat. The nineteen you know seventy-one Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. And if you look mm-hmm. at the prices of everything it's gotten completely out of hand with inflation. Like the, the money just doesn't buy as much as it used to. And real estate has become a proxy store of value because it, it has kept it's, it's kept up with inflation better than anything else has. Yeah. So I don't know how this will get better if we stay on the same path. That's well, as deep as fine. I can get right now. Um, I definitely have some if you want to email us and if you have any ideas or thoughts, like please do so. Ski bone podcast at gmail.com. You know, it's it's a I'm sure other like places are experimenting. Um, you know, you, you look at place like Magic in Vermont that we've mentioned a few times, you know, they have their their little community. They got a couple of condos there, a couple of houses in the loop, but it's not being built out like a lot of the other yeah, you know, it's the opposite of Killington. Killington is working on putting their new massive village, Killington mm. Live, which is going to be this. I mean, they're they're rerouting the main road there. They're putting in these new new water pipes that have to go in to to you know bring water up for all these new houses and condos and everything. They're gonna, I mean, it's going to be a a spectacle. And that's probably like what twenty years in the making, <laughs> easily, right? easily. And it's going to be yeah. 10 years before it actually starts looking like what it's eventually going to look like. But those yeah. are two completely opposite spots. They're both successful. They're both great, but in their own different ways. And it, yeah. is, it is great seeing places like Magic that are still keeping it as real as possible. Because they are becoming... Those are the places that when you hear place, you know, the reduction in ski resorts, it's not the big boys. It's these little independent places. So, to see yeah. them thriving and doing well is awesome, and you know we should be as skiers promoting that because you know business and economics are are just part of life, and if we can put our money where our into things that we think are better for the community for skiing for whatever your ethos. Whatever is important to you, those things are the things that will thrive if they are supported. So, if you like places like Magic, like I do, like we do, then those are the places you should be spending your money in skiing at. Yeah. And they will then thrive. Speak with your dollars, right? Best way to speak, right? Speak with your wallet. That's what they say. <clears throat> yep. Vote with your money. Yes. That's all I got, man. I yeah. a lot of words.
1: Anybody has any comments? Let us know. I'm sure we'll get some hate mail, get
0: some haters. We get haters all the time. We don't have all the answers. We're just asking a couple get some of questions. Lovers
1: sometimes, but, you know.
0: Oh, we have some lovers. We have some lovers. So, yes. If you want to hit us up, if you got any information, anything you want to share, hit us up. Keep on podcast at gmail.com. We do appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out. Skibonpodcast.com. Go to the socials. Instagram, X, Facebook, Untapped, YouTube, at Podcast. Still working out? Stay in shape. Not eating all that pizza. Or if you're eating all that pizza, you better go work out. 10,000.cc. Use the code b or 15, 15% off. Mario, have an awesome time in Italy. Thank you. I will call all about
1: it when i come back look out for the socials i'll be posting
0: look out for the socials we're going to do a recap episode once you get back if you want to help support mario's next trip become a patron patreon.com slash Ski bump podcast best way to do it (laughs) thank you so much for listening we do appreciate it and we'll talk to you guys after mario's back stay high stay luten see ya